Hi, everyone. Our guest today is Ellie Krug. In 2009, while an Iowa City trial attorney with 100-plus trials, Ellie transitioned from male to female. She later became one of the few attorneys nationally to try cases in separate genders. From 2011 to 2016, she served as the executive director of Call for Justice, LLC, a Minneapolis legal nonprofit that was conferred an American Bar Association Award for innovatively increasing legal access. She's also the author of Getting to Ellen, a memoir about love, honesty, and gender change. And she does, as you'll hear during our discussion, she does training about human inclusivity. And we get into the details of what she does, why she does it, and why she is a hopeless idealist. Thanks for joining us. I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily. Oh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw me. Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years, and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Ellie, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. Absolutely. Now, did you see that I switched it to Zoom so we don't have to deal with GoToMeeting? <laughs> I did see that. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. I've about had it with them too. Listeners, if you're doing your own podcasts, look at Zoom as, a, as an alternative way to record them. Um, so Ellie, we met through... Well, we haven't met in person, but we met over the phone. We met through Dr. Mark Goulston, um, who does my wake-up call on our network. And um, tell our listeners a little bit about how the two of you know each other. So um, I, I met Mark by way of a woman named uh, Jennifer Hill, I believe is her last name, out of Los Angeles. And I met Jennifer at a talk I gave in Arizona last year. And she said, I think you should get to know Mark. <laughs> so I got to know Mark. I happen to be a radio host here in the Twin Cities, and I decided to have Mark on my radio show, um, and then he wanted to have me back. And that's LE 2.0 Radio. Yes, LE 2.0 Radio, every Monday on, uh, from 7 to 8 uh, a.m. Central Daylight Time, but it's also available on podcasts. All you have to do is Google LE 2.0 Radio. Fantastic. So how do you like doing the radio every week? You know, um, I like it a great deal because it exposes me to a number of different things uh, that I otherwise would not come across. So, for example, today we taped a show 
uh, there's a about a documentary created over um, the destruction of the Rondo neighborhood in St. Paul when they built uh, I-94 uh, through connecting Minneapolis to St. Paul in the late 50s and early 60s. So I got to sit with two inner city uh, youth, black color youth, who uh, participated in creating the, the um, documentary, which was uh, shown most recently at South by Southwest mm. and uh, shown at a couple of film festivals in Los Angeles. And looks like it's headed for a couple of awards. Fantastic. So I wouldn't have done that otherwise. I wouldn't have been able to talk with them or really understand uh, about the documentary had I didn't know, I didn't have the radio show. And that's been repeated in a variety of ways. That's the interesting thing about when you do any kind of a talk show. And I think it's just easier access when it's not filmed, even though, you know, filming one, you know, for cable TV or television or YouTube, wherever is fantastic too. But radio lends itself to a speedier process, whether it's podcasting or or terrestrial radio and the number of people that you have the opportunity to connect with by doing those kinds of shows is invaluable to someone's career, their cause. I mean, that's what I've found anyway with mine. You know, I, 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 we certainly get them uh, some exposure that they wouldn't get otherwise. I mean, my, uh, you know, my radio uh, station, uh, um, KTNF is one of only 26 progressive radio stations left in the country. Mm. Um, our live air uh, listenership isn't all that large. It's about maybe 70,000 people. But the podcasts are growing in, in number. And I am increasingly uh, hearing from people who listen to my show only by podcast and not by live radio. Right. I found that too. I found that really interesting. Um, a lot of people coming up to us now and saying that are from traditional radio stations wanting us to go on and do those kinds of shows. And we're not opposed, but, you know, we've been doing podcasting for a long time and we're starting to see that rise and maybe not necessarily needing to go the other direction, but we're, we're thinking about it. Oh, well, you know, I don't think you can ever have too big of a footprint and, right, right. uh, you know, assuming your message is a positive message. Um, but um, eventually I want to get a YouTube uh, channel and do 15-minute um, inspirational uh, check-ins uh, with uh, followers. Mm, help. Fantastic. You know, I'm a big, uh, I consider myself a human cheerleader. And mm -hmm. uh, um, we, I think, need to be reminded uh, about our resiliency and our grit and that somebody cares about you, even if you don't necessarily know each other. Right. So. How's it been for you? I know that's a broad question, so let's chunk it up into recently. How's it been for you doing what it is that you do and being a public face of it? So for your listeners, what I do is, uh, well, first of all, You've got listeners that are trying to wrap their head around the fact that my name is Ellie and I sound like a man. So, well, they heard your intro too, so they know they know a bit of yeah, your backstory. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, they, that's right. So they, so let me remind them then, um, <laughs> you know, that I'm transgender, um, and right now 62 years old, and um, and what I do is um, I've gotten a chance to have um, a second chance to have a do-over, mm -hmm. and I'm doing taking advantage of it as fully as humanly possible. So um, I 
do a variety of things, as your intro may have indicated, but primarily my, you know, what, what certainly puts um, money in the bank is that I am a, a trainer and speaker on human inclusivity, um, which is taking me across North America. Last year, I did more than 170 talks and trainings. Mm-hmm. So, When you go out and do trainings for that, who is it typically that's you know, hiring you or bringing you in to do those kinds of talks? What types of organizations or individuals or um, you know, well, platforms? It's across all sectors. So I'm uh, training uh, Fortune 50, 100 companies and you know, smaller companies down the road, down the line, uh, to governmental entities, to uh, law firms, uh, to nonprofits, uh, court systems. Um, it's just pretty much across the board. I mean, for example, the Land's End people, hmm. you know, get your clothes, you know, from uh, order them from Land's End. I, I went to headquarters in Dodgeville, Wisconsin, <laughs> uh, also known as Nowhere, Wisconsin. And um, they had me once. Uh, they loved me and they brought me back uh, to train for two full days um, uh, after that. So, um, so it's stuff like that. I've trained the entire state of Iowa judiciary. I've spoken at uh, Target, at General Mills, at their headquarters. Um, I Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I uh, spent a day at Harvard Law School speaking there. Fantastic. So how do, how do you feel about being that public face? Because it doesn't come without its hardship. Well, you know, um, so in the transgender community, I would be considered uh, a really bit player in terms of public face for transgender mm-hmm. people. I am completely under the radar. As I like to say, I'm the most, most notable person you've never heard of. <laughs> um, and, and part of that is because of my approach is different. So you have um, in the transgender community, without getting a whole lot of detail, you have people that are so, soapbox speakers, you know, who want to be on soapbox, and I really respect that. You know, but want to you know be very adamant about um, providing transgender people with rights and with um, equality, and and I'm all in favor of all of that. But I'm not a soapbox speaker. But most of the people that that you are, you know, familiar with, are either in that category or they're you know media figures like Laverne Cox or Janet Mock, you know, or Ches Bono, people that you know, or Caitlyn Jenner. Um, those are folks that have you know had had media followings for a variety of reasons. Me, I'm on the different end of the spectrum. I'm under the radar in the sense that um, I don't have that kind of a national platform. Um, and, and so to a certain degree, I'm an idealist and I very much want my messages about compassion for others and for self mm-hmm. to get out there. I, I absolutely want that to be the case. But because I'm under the radar, I actually get to go to places where soapbox speakers wouldn't be able to go um, because they'd either be too visible and some would consider them to be too controversial, okay. you know, or Laverne Cox. I mean, she's not going to get invited to, you know, a, coll- a community college out in, you know, greater Minnesota or in South Dakota. Okay. I do get invited to those places. And when I do, I'm, you know, in terms of talking about exposure and face, for many, I'm the very first transgender person that any have met. And I take that with great responsibility um, because I know that based on what I say and how I act, 
I can influence people greatly. Uh, they can walk away thinking, you know what, she's just like us, even though her voice doesn't match her appearance. But mm -hmm. other than that, I really like her. Or they could walk away and say, you know, um, all that we heard was somebody trying to change our mind, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't want to have my mind changed. And I don't take the approach of ever trying to change anybody's mind. What I want to do is touch their heart and let right. them understand that we're all in this together. We're all trying to survive the human condition. We all have challenges in life. It's just that my survival of human condition is much more public than it is for most people because his voice doesn't match this appearance. Right. But beyond that, I want the same things as everybody else in the audience. And when I do it right, and I do it right most of the time, people do walk away saying, you know what? I like her. And I didn't know that's the way it was about being transgender. Hmm. I think too, because you lead with, this is a human issue. These are human, this, this is something that's across the board for every human. Um, yes, you bring a cause behind, you know, in with you as part of what you talk about, but we all kind of have that because everybody's unique. You leading in with this being about the human condition, uh, I can see why that's, you know, makes it to where you do get those specific talks at places and you're not bringing uh, miles of press and hot button topics, but you, you bring it in subtly and that's fantastic. It's a wider reach in my opinion, in, in many ways, or a more saturated reach. Does that make sense? No. And I, and I, I agree with you. And, and the, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, I, I don't advertise, you know, people reach out to me by word of mouth. And for the most part, my trainings is not, are not around about being transgender. Right. My trainings are around human inclusivity. That is, I mean, human inclusivity is defined as the extent to which a human feels that they matter to an organization or to a group. And my trainings are about helping everyone to understand that everyone matters and how to be more welcoming to people who are quote unquote different or other from us. Whether you're transgender, whether you're a female, whether you're a person of color other than the white color, whether you're a person with disabilities, whether you're a vet, you know, who's trying to get into the workplace, you know, and, and people don't understand some of the trauma that you've gone through, all of those things. And, um, and I think that it works incredibly well, um, in part because I think I'm very vulnerable. Yes. Um, because it just doesn't work with the voice and the appearance. I mean, people get used to it eventually, but at first for many, it's a difficult um, adjustment. Hmm. So tell us a little bit about, you know, the human inclusivity piece. I, I bring this up and maybe this will help with, with what I'm looking for in terms of an answer. One of the things I notice from some of the work that we do is, you know, we'll go out and we'll work in corporate America, so to speak. And, but we're talking about mental health topics and someone will be irritated with another person's behavior and they'll tell us, well, I just get irritated and you know, you should have just gotten rid of that person because they were irritating or they don't know how to behave. And I very carefully say, I understand where you're coming from. And I know, I understand that that was irritating for you. However, we're in the field of mental health and that means that we do have to pause and we have to think about what could be going on with that person uh, that, 
you know, why are they reacting that way? Are they triggered? Are they dealing with trauma? We, we have to pause before we just make a blanket statement. And what our message is, is every place should be like that, not just mental, in people, you know, in the mental health field. And it's made a lot of people stop and go, oh, I hadn't thought about it like that. And that's what we want. So when you talk about human inclusivity, is that kind of, you know, a part of what you're meaning as well? It is, but it's far more um, basic um, because, um, there, you know, uh, I have a training called gray area thinking and the, the, the training has four components to it. Um, the very first component is about the fact that we group and label other humans. And in that sense, um, you know, it's about unconscious bias, but I don't like mm -hmm. the phrase unconscious bias because many people react negatively to that phrase. Because people, most people will say, oh, well, I don't have any bias. Why do I have to go through this training? <laughs> Reality is we all have bias and yes. that includes me as well. Okay. Um, but I talk about, I, I talk about how we are wired to group and label other humans and, and, and also how we are wired for tribalism. And, um, and I will actually go through the room and identify the tribes that are in the room. And I mm. can really identify at least a good 10, 10 tribes um, simply by the way people are sitting in the room and, and, and all of that. Now, uh, to a certain degree, that is about putting yourself in the place of someone else or about empathy, um, really, which is part of what you spoke about there. Um, but it's also about being aware of the fact that humans default to a couple of things, grouping and labeling, tribalism, underlying both of those is fear. Okay, so when your colleague in a meeting says, well, that person's a problem, you know, they, you know, they need, you need to get rid of them. Part of what that very well may be is, I'm afraid of this person right. because they make me uncomfortable, because they might make me need to um, either think or or do or say certain things that I'm not usually usually comfortable with doing, um, you know things of that nature, and that's 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 fear behavior right there. Okay, and I think that I'm a huge believer in the idea that we need to label things um, before we can even begin to change them. Hmm. And so, um, so I talk a great deal about how we are fearful and also about how we don't pay attention to things. You know, I mean, we're all caught up in our own world. Right. So, um, you know, and if you want, I can describe the rest of the training, but I don't, you know, I don't know. Well, I'd love to, yeah, I'd love to hear just a couple. I don't want to give it away because I want people to go to your trainings, but a couple of uh, it, what intrigued me was, you know, you, you identified some of these groups. So how, how do you do that? And if I was sitting in a room and someone said, well, I'm going to identify which group you're a part of, I would knowing my history and my background, because it's me, I would immediately go, oh, what did she find out about me that I'm expressing through my oh, mind? It's not well, good. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't say groups. I say tribes. Tribes. I'm sorry. I used so, the wrong word, but tribes. No, but yeah. A, but that's okay. But well, I mean, you know, it's, uh, I mean, because we're humans, we can, I can identify a very, a few number of tribes just simply by looking at a room. And so I always start out that everybody in the room is either a member of or a wannabe member of the United States of America citizen tribe. <laughs> okay. And then depending on the state where I'm at, they're a member of that state's tribe. And then coming down, 
Um, many times I'm in an organization, you know, so uh, we're all here. You're all members of the Acme Manufacturing Tribe. Okay. okay? Gotcha. All right. But hold on. I'm not done because and, and you're, now you're hearing the way I speak when I do this. So hold on. Don't, don't, I'm not done. You know, <laughs> and I'll look around the room and we'll have uh, a large number usually of people of the, of the white color tribe. We'll have some people from the people of color other than white tribe. And I make a distinct point to say white color because many white colored humans believe that white is not a color. They believe it's base or normal. And so mm -hmm. part of that I'm trying to instill. But then we've got people from the male appearing tribe, people from the female appearing tribe. And then you'll see very often in the room, people will wear, you know, insignia. You know, so when I trained at Land's End, we had people wearing, you know, um, badgers, uh, you know, the Wisconsin badgers signia. Okay, <laughs> right. they're, they're not far from Madison where they're located, you know, and then you'll see other people. I, I just I, I just got stopped in the um, I got stopped in the uh, hall or the Skyway last week in Minneapolis by a woman who'd gone to my training. She actually treated me like a rock star. And she said, Ellie, I was at one of your trainings last fall. And I'm like, okay, she said, I was of the David Bowie tribe. Don't you remember? she had been wearing a David Bowie shirt. I remembered as soon as she told me. I was like, yes, the David Bowie tribe. Mm. And, and so, but, you got, but then, you know, then when I'm, if, I, if it's an organization, I'll, I'll actually break down the other tribes. So, for example, you will have people from accounting all sitting together. You'll have people from HR all sitting together. And I'm like, why are you in here all sitting with each other? Do you know everybody in this room? You know, if it's a room of a hundred people, people are like, no, I don't. I'm like, and you knew you were coming to a training about inclusivity. Did you have any discussion that maybe it'd be good that you go sit at different tables <laughs> just to get to know people who are different than you? You know, and then usually somebody will say, well, yeah, but then I was afraid that I'd have to talk to somebody. Aha, see, now we're back to fear, right. okay? And so then I'll go through and give them some tips on how to communicate with strangers. I have a thing called the four commonalities that all humans have four things in common that form a basis for you to have a conversation with anyone. Right. Even if you're socially awkward or you feel like even, you are. <laughs> even if you are, that's correct. <laughs> mm, interesting. Well, let me ask you this, you know, dealing with, or would it, that's a wrong word choice, in the process of living your life, you're running around, you're busy, you're doing all these talks, um, you know, we get tired, we, you know, get impatient about something, and people can be irritating, let's just face it, they're going through their own stuff, how do you catch yourself in your own moments of, hmm. okay, <laughs> um, how do you do that for yourself? Because it's, it's, it's yeah. been phenomenal to, phenomenal to do it in a training. And then, yes, we're all human. And we have those moments too. We're, we're not perfect either. I certainly am not. Well, I've been in terms of, of moments during the trainings where human humanity has shown up, I've been very lucky. Um, I've only been heckled once. Mm. the last um, 300 trainings and uh, and I've only had a I can count on one hand the number of negative um, reviews where people reviewed me negatively because I'm transgender because right. gendered me things of that nature I did have a 
I did work with an organization which happened to be a group of mental health workers. And I've got to tell you, uh, Kristen, I uh, find mental health professionals, social workers to be a, a com- very challenging group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And I, I did have, was working with an organization and I did have something happen during a training where somebody had come up to speak to me at a prior training about something. I thought that we'd had the matter handled um, and covered and then she raised it again in a second training in front of 90 people. And um, I, I actually did lose my patience with her a little bit um, mm-hmm. as a result. And I really regretted doing that, but I got kind of ambushed. But other than that, I've been very lucky. However, on the other side, when I'm not in the room, this is very solitary business. I, am, I don't have a partner. I live alone. Um, I don't have anybody, I mean, I have some friends and I've been best friends with somebody since eighth grade. We talk on the telephone several times a week, but he, you know, um, however, um, you know, he's not there to give me a hug and, 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 you know, he's a dude and I'm a chick now and mm-hmm. there, there are communication issues around that. And so it, it can be very solitary. It can be fatiguing. Um, and um, I experience uh, some moments and sometimes severe moments of loneliness. Um, and end of late, they've become increasingly difficult. And uh, so I actually have started therapy again after a nine-year absence. I started to go back to therapy. I'm so glad you said that because um, with what I do, I, to- I completely understand everything that you just said in terms of this being solitary. I mean, I'm in my place just me doing my shows. I don't feel lonely. I think because I've been always around other people and this is the first time in my life that I'm not, that I'm just living in my own house. So I have years to develop what loneliness is. (laughs) I'm so not lonely because I'm free um, that I don't, that's not a concern right now. Sure. Not, Not that it won't be later, but then you go out in the public and you boom, boom, boom. And it's, activity, 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 and a lot of people because you're speaking. Um, And then you come back to this solitary life. So it can be challenging. And what I've found is the transition from doing a big activity where I am on, you know, uh, the floor, so to speak, in front of a lot of people. And then I'm transitioning myself to the airport and no one's around but me. And I'm getting ready to go home back to that solitary experience, which I really need to recharge me for the next one. But sometimes I'll run into somebody in the transition phase and I have to, and I really don't want to be bothered because I don't have anything left to give. I just did something where I gave a lot and I have to work extra hard to have patience. So that's kind of what I was talking about there with you. And like, how do you, okay. (laughs) Well, you know, so I, I mean, I do travel a fair amount and I've developed a couple of you know, tricks. And one of those is, you know, you get on the plane and you throw those earbuds in right away, (laughs) you know, and you pull out um, a journal or, or something and um, don't establish eye contact. And there you go. Now, of course, I'm a trainer on human inclusivity, and that would be just the opposite of how (laughs) I would train. Um, On the other hand, I need to um, take care of Ellie. And I, I am an introvert. 
Um, and the way that I get recharged is by having some uh, time alone and some space for me. So that allows me to do a lot more work, um, hopefully positively touching other people. So, um, and most, of, I mean, every once in a while, certainly I'll talk to my uh, seatmate on the airplane, <laughs> but a lot of times I won't. I mean, I'll be friendly, of course, and smile and all that jazz, but um, I don't want to get into a, conver a long conversation with someone. The nature of your conversations, uh, people that will come up and, and speak to you, they're, you're opening and inviting and holding a space for vulnerability to happen, whatever someone's background is. And so it, I've found it tends to be where people want to tell me uh, their life story and it might have been, I might be one of the few people they've ever shared that way with. Mm. And, uh, and that can be exhilarating and it can also be draining. So how have you, I'm sh I can only imagine that that's happened to you as well. How do you um, care for yourself in the moment when those things have happened? Well, I'm recalling an incident I spoke last, well, this would be a year and a half ago in, in Wisconsin um, at a SHRM conference, uh, Society of Human Resource Managers. And for that talk, I had done a Transgender 101 talk and, you know, people came up to me afterwards and, and um, you know, nice talk, Ellie, da, da, da. But I was competing with the cocktail hour. And mm -hmm. so um, most people, you know, were out the door uh, to head to the cocktail hours. But there was one woman that stayed and she was just sitting there and I, she didn't get up to come and talk to me. And I just thought, well, I'll go sit next to her and just ask her what she thought of the talk. And uh, she, you know, liked the talk enough, but then she went on to tell me that she'd been married for a long time, but that she really probably was bisexual and that she'd often fantasized about having a relationship with a woman, but had never acted on it. And then she said to me, I've never told that anyone that Ellie, mm -hmm. you're the first person. And when she did that, there was no, no fatigue on my part. Right. What there was, was great humility and recognition that she had just given me a gift and that there, I was certainly going to hold that gift in my heart as something incredibly special. I have those moments with great frequency because one of the things I do, Kristen, and, you know, remember, hopeless idealist trying to change the world, <laughs> student of Dr. King and Robert F. Kennedy. At every talk I give, and I am not exaggerating, at every talk I give, regardless of venue, at the beginning of the talk, I make a, my, what I call my standing offer, which is that I will meet with any human in a public place or on the telephone, talk to them for up to an hour, and I don't watch my watch to talk about anything related to surviving the human condition, mm. whether it's related to gender identity or sexual orientation or anything that has nothing to do with either gender or sex, just simply has to do with trying to make your way through the world. I take that offer very seriously. I do. And there are a number of people, there've been quite a few people that have taken me up on it. And every time that happens, I just think, you know, 
All that I am is an instrument for Dr. King and Robert F. Kennedy, mm. and maybe Gandhi, and maybe, you know, whoever else has ever spoken about our need to be there for other people, to give them an ear or a shoulder at a time when they could use that. And I thoroughly believe in that. And so, um, yes, I need to be off at times, but relatively limited when that is the case. Mm. Um, because if you need me, I will be there. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm in awe of that. That's wonderful. And um, I think for many people, it's that get burnt out when they're doing so much advocacy work is because they've always put themselves last. Yeah. So that balance of, and that's something I've, I've done as well. And I don't do that um, now. I'm much better about the self-care piece because I finally figured it out. Oh, if I put myself first, I have more to give, which is what makes me happy. <laughs> so better put right. myself first. But it, it was a long road to, um, to get there, to figure that out. Well, you know, um, I mean, I don't, actually, I don't know your age, Kristen, but I'm 62. And I, um, you know, people in my age now are starting to die, you know, and I, I mean, I'm relatively healthy, I hope. Um, I hope that I have a lot more years in this world, but I don't know. I mean, I know a lot, I, I'm less certain about that than I was 10 years ago. And I have this burning I, there's no other word to describe it. This burning desire to make a difference in the world, positive difference. And to me that, you know, and I've always had a very strong work ethic, extremely strong work ethic. And, and so for me, um, to recharge is relatively shorter, I mm -hmm. think, than for other people, in part because it's like, come on, El, we've got to get stuff done. There's a whole lot to do here. Right. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. So where are you off to next after right now? Well, uh, well, tomorrow um, I have to go out to um, uh, greater Minnesota, to uh, St. Cloud, Minnesota, and speak at a, a conference of healthcare professionals for a, um, a medical organization, Centricare. Um, they've opened up a... Um, among other things, a, a gender clinic. Um, it's the only greater Minnesota clinic uh, of its kind. Uh, they're putting on a diversity conference tomorrow, and I'm uh, one of the uh, primary speakers for the conference. And then um, the day after that, I get to speak at the University of St. Thomas uh, here in, in, in St. It's in St. Paul. Um, and I only raise it because it's a predominantly very conservative Catholic organization, Catholic university with about 15,000 students. Wow. I'm going to go and I'm going to uh, train on human inclusivity, on gray area thinking. Um, and uh, uh, I'm doing, I, I, I'm happy that they had me there two years ago to speak about being transgender. I was the very first transgender speaker they ever had. So they're having me back. Apparently that worked out all right. <laughs> right. If they ask you back, it worked out all right. But, I, but that's significant because there will be people in that audience who will not approve of transgender people. I'm pretty certain of that. 
Right. And hopefully um, I will give them some perspective and maybe they'll be more accepting uh, by the time the training is over. So I'm that's kind hard. of excited about that. Yeah, that's exciting. And it's, I, it is harder for most humans to be as angry and as in their fear when they are standing right in front of the human that at that moment represents in their eyes the fear that they're carrying. Yeah. So, Well, it's the power of human familiarity. I believe that human familiarity is the pathway through all of our problems. I do. Just simply getting to know another human who's other that to you, understanding, you know, hearing their story a little bit. And then as you hear the story, you're like, hey, hold on a second. I had that going on with me too. Right. You like dogs too? I didn't know that, you know? <laughs> no, that's all it takes. Exactly. And you I don't... see it happening in my trainings all of the time. That, that has to light you up inside when you see someone get it. Oh my God, it's just so rewarding. I want to make sure our listeners know too that Ellie is the author of a book called Getting to Ellen, a memoir about love, honesty, and gender change. And I'm assuming that that can be found on Amazon? Amazon, Kindle, Nook, um, Apple Books. And if somebody really wants an inscribed copy, they can contact me. Can I also uh, plug my website? Absolutely. So I have a website. Uh, I have one for my company, humaninspirationworks.com. But I also have one for me, which it, people find more popular or more valuable, um, elliekrug.com, E-L-L-I-E-K-R-U-G.com. And I curate a monthly newsletter called The Ripple. It gets uh, The name is derived from a speech that Robert F. Kennedy gave in June of 1966 in Cape Town, South Africa, called the Ripples of Hope speech. And uh, the newsletter is about human inclusivity. It's an e-newsletter. I offer tips on how to be inclusive, but I also share stories for us to remind my readers that we are all good to each other. Because we only hear in the news the bad stuff. Right. We don't hear a lot of the good stuff. Right. So I find that good stuff, I share it. Right now, um, the newsletter goes out to about 7,000 people every month. Um, and uh, if you have an interest in getting my newsletter, you go to my website at elliekrug.com, go to the menu bar, and you'll see newsletters where you can sign up for it. Fantastic. Ellie, thank you so much. Now, you're going to stay on with me and chat for a minute, but I want to say thank you for coming on the show. Oh, you're welcome. I'm just thrilled to be here, and thanks for having me, Kristen. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. <laughs> And thank you to our listeners for another episode of the Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous. And they're just good people. And also MyGenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, CopeNotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive.
Positive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you I can fight it. Good boy.